Let's Roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. I'm Joe McLaren. Welcome to Countercharge. And I'm Ralph Enough. I don't know if people have a good memory. <laughs> Recently, our esteemed guest here, Joe McLaren, posted on social media again for, a, for what feels like forever. And I'm like, wait a minute. I know Joe. Right, I know this guy. We had him on the show. So I look up the episode. Yeah, you were on the show in November of 2015, <laughs> almost eight years ago. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. For those who don't even go that far back, that was not long after we kind of said we dumped the we're playing all the Manta games. We want to just focus on Kings of War. And we changed our name to Countercharge. That's unbelievable because the episode is still up. If anybody wants to hear Joe ramble on eight years ago, it'll be fun to have that juxtaposition between what we talk about tonight. Absolutely. Yeah. Welcome to the show, Joe. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. This is a unique opportunity for us. The, the folks that we had back in 2015, there's still a few here that still play, but a lot of them have fallen off. I mean, I think you probably had about where you weren't maybe playing Kings of War and you kind of came back. So let's just start with this opening question. What the heck have you been doing for the last eight years? <laughs> well, it's gone very quickly. Particularly the last three. I still feel like uh, maybe about six months has passed since March of 2020. I a lot of people feel that. Uh, but I can't really count for how quickly the rest of it's gone. But yeah, I was reminiscing, actually. I, I re-listened to the podcast. And I thought how much in my life and in the world in general has changed since 2015. And good old Countercharge podcast has been a steady rock in a stormy sea. All those years, <laughs> which is very nice. Too. Well, and I'm the only one left, though. Everybody else is retired. <laughs> Carrying the torch. Uh, yeah, I don't know what that means. I got nothing better to do, I guess. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, so what have I been doing? Well, I was I was playing Kings of War up until 2018, and then we, we moved across the country. We moved from Kent, down at the bottom right uh, of England, up to sort of nearer Wales, halfway up on the other side. And so I didn't play Kings of War for quite a while. I played a little bit of 40k with a few, few old friends. But yeah, and then it was it was when third edition came out. I thought, well, that's time to get back into it. So I thought I'll I'll, I'll start thinking about an army. I think it was autumn 2019. I started on a new dwarf army. I thought this will this will be good. I'll, I'll get the army ready and then I'll I'll look around for players. And then I was maybe halfway done with the army, a third done with the army. Uh, in spring of 2020 and then when we were all on lockdown i thought this is brilliant i'm going to get loads done now i'm trapped in the house but um i don't know if you found this but i found that without the prospect of a game on the horizon i just did not have the motivation so um everything paused for a couple of years like it did for many people and then um early last year uh i think yeah i i started checking on the various kings of war groups to see who was near me? I just started um, typing in um, Worcester and Birmingham. These are places near me. And uh, well, you know who lives in Birmingham? Steve Hildrew. So I yeah, Steve Hildrew. Yeah. Craziest part, Joe, is I had him on the show. Yeah. And he's like, oh man, there's a guy that's in my area. He's an illustrator. He did the new <laughs> logo. He didn't tell me the person's name. Right. right? He didn't tell me that it was Joe McLaren. Because I would have been like, Joe, I, I talked to him seven years ago, eight years ago. I know Joe. 
So, Steve, why didn't you bring up his name? Why are you keeping him a secret? A very small world that we live in. It is, yeah. And, and Steve is, is brilliant. He's, he's an absolute uh, powerhouse. So I think, like, like yourself, he never seems to run out of energy. He's always doing something. Um, and I think it's that old adage, isn't it, that if you want something doing, you ask a busy person. And he's, he's one of those people. I think he gets asked to do a lot. He's always busy. Uh, he's got a lot going on all the time. And he's, um, I've never seen him sit still. He's always going. <laughs> I'm, I'm the exact opposite you know I, I need my sort of rest time and my fallow time but uh, yeah he's a powerhouse but he's he's brilliant he was extremely warmly welcoming to me and brought me straight into a group of gamers up in Birmingham and I, I travel up uh, the motorway uh, maybe once or twice a month and go and um, play some games with Steve and some other guys I got back into it yeah and um, and so uh, last summer and um, I played my first tournament in Oxford, that was the Pride of the Shires one, and then I've done um, both of Steve's Bull Run tournaments since then in in Birmingham, one in November and one just last month as well. So yeah, properly back into it now. <laughs> you posted some great pictures of your what you're saying is your third Dwarf Army. I remember back in 2015. I guess Dwarf Army number one for Kings of War, you had dubbed it the Budget Dwarves, right? And there were those classic EM4 models. You still have that army? I do, yes, yeah. I, I, I played um I played one of the bull I played the November bull run tournament with that army, in fact. Yeah, it was <laughs> I brought it back out of storage and blew the dust off it and um I think I eventually I finally got around to putting some crew on the on the war machines as well. So that was um but yeah, yeah, that's still there. I still I, I did think about whether I should convert it to a free dwarf army, but um I don't know. I, I don't know. I but I, I I've been concentrating on my new to dwarf armies, so I've put that on the back burner. But yeah, yeah. And your in your third dwarf army is a. It looks like a mostly mantic army, which is really. It looks great. It it's looks 100%, great. Hundred percent mantic. Yeah, absolutely. And what's the second dwarf army, or is that like a lost tribe that we're never going to see? <laughs> well, the one we talked about in 2015, that was the second dwarf army. Oh, that's the second one. Yeah. So I, I was playing in in first edition, in sort of 2011, 2012, and I had a, a mantic dwarf army again, quite a small one. Um, and it, I'm not sure it entirely survived the house move, and I think it may have cannibalized it for various other skirmish games um, in the intervening period. But yep, that was a, a sort of red and gold Mantic Dwarf Army. Yep. Well, let's talk about your third Dwarf Army, because it's crazy. The, a couple of the stand-up models is obviously the dude riding the giant skateboard with the giant engine on the back. That is awesome. Is that a tunneler? Is that, is that a battle driller? Is that what you're running him as? So for um, Steve's full run tournaments, there's always one or two uh, special characters who are free to take and you can add them in and they have special rules. And for the last one, um, the bull character, it had, um, it, it couldn't advance, but at some point in the game, you could basically point it in one direction and it would just go off um, straight across the board as far as you like. Um, as long as it didn't bash into any um, uh, obstacles or, or um, anything else. And every uh, unit it went through, it would take D3 wounds off or whatever it was. And so I needed something that would, uh, on a cavalry base, that would look like it would suddenly and erratically go very quickly in one direction. I rooted around in the, the kids' toy box. I found a, a skateboard key ring, um, and I found an old like plastic hovercraft and... Uh, I took the wind turbines off that or whatever. Uh, I found a a bull skull as well, I think off a, a skeletal minotaur. I think that might have been a Reaper model, actually. 
and then stuck them all together. And so we've got a a dwarf king riding a um, a jet skateboard with a bull's skull on the front, so it counts as a bull, right? <laughs> You've always been the king of uh, you know conversion or the king of kit bashing uh, and just taking the most crazy things and going, look, I'm going to make this into a tank or I'm going to make your, your new army also has a, uh, a guy riding a giant bug. That's right. Yes. Um, again, that's a, that's a mantic figure. Um, so the, the flea, I can't remember what the actual model was. It was from the old um, Mars attacks range, mm. uh, a guy in a suit, uh, gleefully riding a flea, waving his hat. I've no idea how that affects into Mars attacks. I never played it or read or, uh, Look too close to the original. The miles are cool, though. Yeah, they're fantastic. Yeah, there's some great stuff in there. And yeah, so I thought, well, this is this is brilliant. So I I, I bought one of those, and I sort of carefully trimmed off the human legs, and, and I had to sculpt on some dwarf legs and put the top half of the old dwarf king on it. And it yeah, it works. And it's quite good having a flea as well because there's there's a few different um, magic artifacts you can you can use to sort of reflect the fact that it might be sucking blood or jumping or moving very quickly. So it's, um, it's, uh, I think a few people say it's not particularly thematic for dwarves. That would be really right around it. Um, but I quite like it for that reason. It's not, you know, it's something that's not quite expected and it's, um, something a bit different. You're the king of whimsy, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> if, I mean, if I saw this, I'm going to go down. Oh, that's a Joe McLaren army, right? Rob, I'm, I'm going to put that on my headstone. I'm going to put uh, the king of whimsy. On my business card. <laughs> you, you are known for these really outlandish things. And, you know, a, a king riding a giant flea? Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense to me. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad it makes sense to somebody. <laughs> That's fine. The nice thing about Kings of War, right? It's the right base. You know it's a king on a large beast, right? I mean, it's the... That's it, yeah. It's the right base size at the end of the day. I think that's the, that's the sort of golden rule for me because there's, there's all sorts of things you can do with... Um, Obviously, multi-base, and we can really go to town. But um, the thing, that, the rule I always try to keep to is make sure your opponent knows it can't really be anything else, right? I think in my last um, army, the one we talked about eight years ago, <laughs> um, I had um, dwarf chariots pulled by wolves, which counted as um, brock riders. And had there been chariots in the dwarf list, that that wouldn't have been would have been confusing. But the That's fact right. that they weren't. It made yeah, total sense exactly. if you had a yeah. regiment base of the same size of five Brock riders and you had a couple chariots on it. It, it makes sense that that's, that's what it. that's supposed to be. And it's much, I think it's also courtesy to your opponent as well that sort of there should be um, an indication of what the unit does, like sort of some nod towards a level of armor. Um, if it flies, it, you should visually uh, suggest that it can fly as well. I think it's courtesy. 100%. It's great. Well, the other thing we should talk about, if you haven't looked at Joe's uh, pictures, his armies, he's posted a bunch over on the Counter Charge page. You have like this, I mean, I mean, we should probably spill the beans too. You are a professional illustrator. And so <laughs> obviously you have the best banners of anybody in Kings of War. I mean, your banners are unbelievable. But you also, especially on this new army, you have a very cel-shaded look where it almost looks like uh, I don't want to call it like a comic book, but it's got that very dark line, and it's it's fantastic. Um, is that was that intentional, or is that just? Yeah, um, I think so. It was. I think on other armies I've done in the past, I've tended gone with sort of speed paintings. I've, I've used dip before. I've used brown washes. I use sort of rust and all this stuff that can you can really get an effective look quickly and churn out stuff at a rate. And for this one. 
For this one, I wanted to challenge myself, um, make something which is quite clean and bright and the opposite of what I've done in the past and take my time with it a little bit. Um, and so, yeah, I haven't used washes at all. Like you say, I, I just start with an undercoated black miniature and then just very carefully block in all the, um, all the, all the base coats, leaving a, a thin black line between, which is, I think that was quite an old fashioned way of painting even back in the nineties when I started. I remember seeing it as being one of the suggested ways you could go about painting an army in those early sort of Warhammer how to paint your figures books. Um, and uh, yeah, it does give that sort of, it, it, it gives you a very clear, very, um, readable look to your army from a distance and it, it's sort of bright and clean, which I, I, I really like. Actually. We'll post some pictures obviously in the show notes for the show, but you know, you've used some of these models in very unique ways. Like we should mention your, 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 uh, I guess they're supposed to be greater, greater elemental, greater earth elementals, where you've taken trolls and you've kind of covered them in moss. Yeah, yeah, fantastic looking stuff. Well, that that was sort of I realized actually not not very long before the last um, tournament that I needed. I had three earth elementals, the, the metal ones from Mantis. I think they've since have been reissued in resin. I didn't realize, but uh, I had three metal ones which I'd painted and they were fine, but they were they're heavy and a bit and. Uh, I realized I had to expand this regiment into a horde and um, I wasn't sure if I had time to buy some more or wasn't sure if I really wanted to make more metal models. And so I had some um, some uh, resin trolls and uh, yeah, I just <laughs> covered them in, in sand and glue and made some tendrils and bits of fungus out of uh, green stuff. And it, it works. I think it, they look okay. Yeah. <laughs> and they match the data elemental. Well. it's very unique right because you know when they when you hear earth elementals you know uh obviously the ones they they've they've sell are in are, are stone yeah well yeah. you've taken a different rot you know i mean i guess technically they're stone underneath all the moss yeah, which is maybe, cool or it yeah. could be wood you don't know yeah, yeah. It, it's just, just soil it, <laughs> yeah sort of it could be just soil thing. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> fantastic looking stuff thank you what do you have left to paint for this army? Well, that's the thing. So at the moment, the army is um, 1,995 points, which is what um, the Bull Run tournament was. Um, I'm going to Clash of Kings in September. Um, I don't know which army I'll be taking then. I might be taking this army. And if I do, I'll need to expand it to 3,300. Uh, I think the next thing will be um, maybe a cannon and um, maybe... Some block riders as well, I think, and that would should round it out nicely. I can't even imagine, Joe, what you're thinking for Brock riders. To be honest, Rob, I'm being very boring. I'm just using some Brock riders. <laughs> okay. Oh, you're going to use the real thing. That's okay. It, yeah, yeah. Well, really That's like so un Joe McLaren of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I really like the figures. I've, I've loved them since they came out. I think um, when it was, I remember when we were playing at the start of second edition um, when I was uh, back in, in, in Kent. And uh, we were trying to sort of um, spread the word in the, sort of, the, the store we played at and, and recruit more people. And one of the main sort of recruitment was the idea that you could have dwarves riding badges, <laughs> especially from the Warhammer players, right? Because the, the Warhammer dwarf army, uh, although it had gyrocopters, it didn't have anything else that was really sort of uh, quite as exciting as dwarves riding badges. So I've always had a real soft spot for those figures. I think they're fantastic. So, so I'm sure you've heard that there's a new dwarf unit coming out this year. 
I, I've heard something right. about ravens, right? Uh, yeah, so yeah. dwarves throwing bombs on the from the back of ravens. Yep. Yeah. I'm like, I can't even imagine. <laughs> uh, now, it's going to be Northern Alliance, and it's going to be free dwarves is sure. what they've told yeah. us. So that, makes sense. Uh, so that might be the impetus of why you have to do a free dwarf army now. Yeah. Just yeah. so you can have tons of berserkers, tons of Brock riders, and a load of these raven riders. Amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it sounds amazing. <laughs> that sounds really great. Yeah, do you think they'll do? Yeah. I mean, at some point, I guess they'll redo the core plastics as well. We actually just had a conversation with Ronnie a couple weeks ago. And he said that they've, to sum up, they were going to do that this year, but they have Northern Alliance, they have Night Stalkers, and then they have Twilight Kin this year. So they pushed them to next year. So I would expect a refresh of the Dwarf range next year. Okay. Well, that would be the time to to jump on it then. Yeah. Well, let's just talk about that. I mean, you've got an interesting perspective. You were back there in 2015 painting models. The models they were making in 2015 are a lot different than the models they're making now. What's been your perspective on the growth, the development of the art, you know, the artistic style? I think by absolute necessity, Mantic is, is a far more, I mean, not to say they weren't a professional outfit in 2015, they were, but they they are sort of a proper, um, very slick or increasingly slick operation. And they're able to sort of drop whole armies at once, mostly plastic, which is exactly what the market needs. That's what the that's what people demand, right? And the fact that sort of when Twilight King um, comes out in the next few months or whatever, it's going to be, right, here's all the core plastics and then here's all the resin stuff and there probably won't be any any units in the list that aren't reflected by model you could buy and that's going to be, that's what you need to do, right? That's for the, for the market now in these days. And so, yeah, the, the, the plastics especially now are technically very impressive. They're much easier to put together than they used to be. I've, I've put together some Empire of Dust fairly recently, just to look at their life, and I looked at the um, the Ratkin, fantastic figures. Um, for me personally, there's something I still really like about that those uh, first generation of um, models they did produce in sort of you know, 2010, 2011. Um, I've I've got a very high tolerance for for sort of stuff that's a bit difficult to put together and stuff that's a little bit shonky up close. I I I I find a lot of charm in that, you know, and um, a lot of my hobby is based on around nostalgia, and so I'm I'm. Well, you are the king of Goblin Green, right? Okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's not a Joe McLaren army if you don't have Goblin Green bases. I mean, that's <laughs> it's straight out of the White Dwarf from like 1996. That's it. Yeah, that's very much my era. Yeah, that's it. And and I, it's it's entirely sort of personal. There's no logic to it at all, but. Um, that's my sort of idea of what an army looks like. Is it sort of, uh, although I, I, I always amaze what, what people do with multi-basing and making dioramas and stuff. And I've done that in the past as well. Um, but there's something really pleasing to me about, you know, um, full model count, everyone on their individual little green base, dry brush with yellow, but just, it just, uh, yeah, it feels very satisfying to me to look at. And there's no logic to it. It's, it's pure nostalgia. <laughs> when I think people look at those armies, it, it kind of hits them right in the, you know, it just, it, it's a warm feeling when you see that. You're like, sure. oh, that's amazing. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Actually, you know, I've, I've, I've been the slow grow and I'm the counter charge uh, group this year. I'm, I'm doing um, undead for that. So I've been gathering my forces for that and I'm appreciating how well I think the, 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 the skeleton plastics and the plastic uh, zombies have have aged. I think they still look really good. They're really fantastic range. 
considering they're they're like the second army, right? You know, obviously the elves, and they're they're certainly detractors of the elves. It's an acquired taste. Mm. I don't think you can argue, other than the integrated basing with the little, you know, the integrated base, yeah, which makes it a little more challenging to base it up. The sculpts themselves. I'll still put them toe to toe with just about anything. I love the skeletons. I like the ghouls. I like the zombies. I, and I think they're just great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're great. They're and great I models. I know what you mean about the elves. From my point of view as well, I remember when when those armies were coming out and people uh, were very quick to criticize Mantic because it was clear at that point that their business model was to provide affordable miniatures for people building Warhammer Fantasy armies. And People were sort of quick to sort of scoff at that and um, maybe sort of detractors, you know, with with sort of some reason, I suppose. But when you actually look at the armies they put out, they could have made armies that were far closer to the look that Games Workshop was producing at the time. Uh, whether you like the elves or not, they are a really unique vision of the elves. They didn't blend in with the GW figures at all. They did something completely unique. To their credit, I think, because, um, yeah, and, and it's true the dwarves as well. With the elves in particular, you know, we had somebody on the show a long time ago, and they made the comment, it's very fey-looking. It's very, you know, it, it does have a more, I want to say Tolkien, right? It's less high elves and more Tolkien elves, very more like wood elf ishness you know? I, and, you know, obviously with somebody with your illustrator eye, I mean, Different is good sometimes, right? Instead of just doing the same thing as everybody else. They remind me actually quite a lot of the um, artwork artwork by this man called Rodney Matthews. Uh, he's done a lot of Prograph album covers, and he he's done a lot of the stuff for Michael Moorcock books. And his elves look alien, and um, and the armor looks like it's sort of insect parts and stuff. And I think the the Mantic elves have something of that to them. I think the, the first, uh, so the, the elves and the undead and the dwarves and maybe the orcs as well, I'm pretty sure they were all designed um, by Bob Naismith. Who was a, a mm-hmm. You're guy. right. Yeah. And, you know, he, he, he knows a thing or two about it. He, he, was, he designed the first Space Marine and he's had an extremely long career. And, um, yeah, I'm sure all of these, and th- there's a logic to everything he's designed as well. There's, although you, you, you can point to sort of, technical shortcomings of the sprues themselves and sometimes things don't quite join up as, as well as you'd like them to um but there's a there's a something i love about the dwarf sculpts in particular is that they're very heavily armored on the tops of their heads and their shoulders which makes sense because they're going to be shorter than most of the people they're fighting so they're going to be getting a lot of blows down on their heads and shoulders so sort of, yeah but there, there's a, a logic to everything he, he's designed which i really i really appreciate if you think about it, back then, I mean, when they had the uh, Morgoth's Revenge starter set, like yep, yeah. you, they were really good value. Like I, I, I was recounting on a recent episode. I think I paid like forty cents a model or something, yep. right? Like, I mean, they were really inexpensive, not cheap. I mean, because the models are still great, yep. but they were just inexpensive. It's interesting, obviously, juxtaposition to where we are today, and they straddle the line more. But I think now, you know, the new Night Stalkers coming out, it's clear. They're not, you know, they, they long ago left behind. We're an alternative model company, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, we're making models for Kings of War and nothing says that more than the new Night Stalkers, which are, there is no Night Stalker army in any other game system. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited about the new art direction and just excited about something, just something different. It's not really better or worse. It's just different. And it's yeah. just nice to have them grow and organically evolve the, the aesthetic. No, you're right. It definitely doesn't. Uh, it's definitely not as easy to say now. I'll oh, just get your old Warhammer Fantasy Army and just bring it in 
And you can do that, and lots of people still do, but it's Kings of War, it's his own game, it's his own IP, and it's, that's really nice to see. And it's nice to see that the fluff has been expanded and novels and all the rest of it. I think it's um, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. it's nice that the model range, too, is kind of caught up. They've always bucked the trends. Oh, you don't have cavalry in your dwarf army? Well, we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't have giant ravens <laughs> with dwarves on their back? I just love the... They're not beholden to any kind of trope. They're they're just yeah. they're gonna make their own. They're gonna set their own path, which is great because it's, it's original yeah. and it doesn't feel like they're copying anybody. To your point, back in 2015, they were a much smaller company. You know, financial impact of some of these decisions were more significant than they are today, maybe. So now yeah. they they probably are a little bit more independent. They're like, okay, we can we can take some risks. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a big year for Kings of War. I, I think there's a bunch of hard plastic sprues, maybe more hard plastic sprues than we've seen certainly since the start of second edition, it's a fantastic time to get in. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, <laughs> what's really good as well. Something I really like about, uh, Mantic and it's still true today is that, uh, you know, Ronnie, you just have to wind him up and let him go and he'll, he'll talk until you <laughs> stop him. And I think, uh, he'll often say sort of perhaps more than most other, uh, you know, um, leading companies would in terms of what they've got planned, what they've done in the past. He's always very quick to say, oh, we did this in the past. It didn't work and we got it wrong, but we're going to do it this way now. And, uh, and it feels like you, you, you're, you're part of the conversation with, with Mantic. And, uh, that's something I've always really valued about, about the way that they've developed their games and developed their products is they're very transparent about listening to you. Absolutely. Their players have a t- place at the table for that discussion, right? They're not working in a vacuum. I mean, the, the best example I give is, you know, for, armada they had a a model for the dwarf range it was a flyer people didn't like it they took that feedback and they and they they changed it to something that was more people were uh, fond of it's great you know it's interesting though because obviously we haven't talked in so long and you were playing we were playing you know the very beginning of second edition now we are already to 3.5 how is the the game changed for you it's interesting because i i did listen again to our last conversation and you asked me about um, the changes from from first into second, and I think it's my response to you know <laughs> well, we're at three point same answer now. same answer yeah it, there is no change which I I can disagree with, and I think then I was it's the it's the sort of subtle alchemy of you know because every time you make a change to a game uh, any war game really it, it propagates doesn't it and you you have to anticipate how the tiniest change will affect a particular unit and by extension an army and by extension the entire balance of the game. And um, I mean, no game is completely balanced, but I don't know of any other war game, particularly on this scale as well, which has a, such a reputation for being so well balanced. And the uh, rules committee, I, it's sort of, it is a, a dark and subtle alchemy, which I entirely beyond <laughs> my comprehension. I, I, I'm in awe of it. I think, the the rules at the moment are they do everything I want them to do. Certainly, I think they're fantastic. Really. After eight years, I I feel like or, or ten years if you go all back to first. One of the things that's most amazing to me is that there was plenty of opportunities to add complexity just for the sake of complexity, to add bloat, to to find ways to sell more rules. And yes, the game is more complex than it was in first edition, hundred percent. But to your point, I think all the changes and additions or subtractions that they've made were the right choice. And I think we're at a better place now than we were then. And so it's interesting because, you know, if this was, if this was games workshop, 
you know, every five years, you get a brand new game starting from the ground up. That's right. Right. Yeah. And we have not done that. They have not blown up anything. And other than, okay, it's not called Mantica anymore. Now it's called Panathor. Right. But other than that, <laughs> the game is pretty much the same and it's yeah. slight tweaks. Right. And I think they've made it better. I think so. And I think um, it, it, it is more complex, but I think most of the added complexity has come from uh, sort of clarification and about sort of tightening up the the sort of the bigger loopholes in the game, and that's to its credit. And the rules themselves are still a sort of very compact set of few pages you can read through in an hour and comprehend. And you, you, you know, and then you only have to go and watch uh, Steve Hildrew's How to Play Things War videos, and then the whole thing falls magically into place. I think a, a, a new player, I can't think of any other war game on this scale that you could pick up so intuitively. And I've never had a game of Kings of War that I felt like I would I was gotchered by an odd rule that I couldn't be expected to know. None of the um, spells feel like they've you know undermined you horribly. It, it still feels like a game that um, anyone can get their heads around in fairly short order. And like you always say, mm-hmm. it's you know it's um, a moment to learn the lifetime to master. That's what all the Mantic games do, and they do well. well. So what is it about Ranks and Flanks, that big cinematic battle that draws you in? Because obviously you're hardcore for this epic scale, these big giant armies clashing on a battlefield. What is it? Where where did it come from? It's interesting. Isn't it? I think, <laughs> well, I've, I've recently been uh, helping out with my kids' school and their Warhammer club, right? And so we do Age of Sigmar and Warhammer 40K, and I, I always have to spend a little bit of time before the start of term really condensing the rules and making sure they're a much simpler set of rules that I can critique really easily. Um, but there's, so every term I see sort of maybe uh, six or a dozen kids uh, get their first taste of wargaming and they first pick up a figure. And some of the kids think, oh, this is cool. And they play it. You, know, they, you can tell they enjoy it, but it's not really clicked. And some of the kids, they pick up a figure, a little painted man and <laughs> with weapons and a shield and they, they something really clicks inside their head. And I was one of those kids. And I think I've always had that fascination. These are very, very cool. I'm not entirely sure why these little metal dudes and having more of them is better. And having a great big army of rectangular formations of dozens and dozens of them, I've always found that fascinating. I remember, you know, pouring over editions of White Dwarf back in the 90s for hours, just looking at someone's army in a great big, you know, green, bowling green, with the trees in the background, and a few cottages, and then just, yeah, ranks and flanks. And it's always, it's always uh, really, really just aesthetically pleased me and fascinated me. And that's, yeah, um, which is why I like, yeah, ranks and flanks. I think, and also there's, there's the added um, tactical um, challenge of thinking about, okay, you don't want to go and get something where you're going to expose your flank. So there's risk and reward, and you have to think about sort of two turns ahead. Do I take this risk to achieve that? And it's, um, yeah, that, that's, that's the thing you get with ranks and flanks, which is much harder to achieve, I think, um, with skirmish games and with round-based stuff. What other games are you playing? This is my main game. This is my main bandwidth. I'm like you. I, I only have so much in the head, almost space in the head for <laughs> yeah. rule sets. One set of rules at a time. And I've got a bit of a foot in 40K, but that is mostly because I've got old friends who occasionally play 40K and that's sort of, uh, that's the game they have and that's the armies they have. 
and I do return, retain, you know, a, a fond nostalgia for Space Marines. Um, and occasionally I have to learn a bit of Age of Sigmar to teach the kids at the uh, kids' school. But yeah, um, Kings of War is it really. That's, that's my main game. And every so often I, you know, I'm interested in Armada and I like the look of, uh, of, of, uh, Warpath, Firefight. And, um, but yeah, I don't have infinite, uh, resources in terms of time or money or, or mental bandwidth. So yeah, Kings of War is the main one. Well, I think you called yourself a colossal cheapskate the last time we were on the show. So, or, or you're just the commander of ingenuity, right? Like, you know, you just go to the thrift shop and. Well, I'm still a colossal cheapskate, Rob. And in fact, since then, I started a, uh, a Facebook group a few years ago called Super Cheap Wargaming, which was, um, a, supposed to be a, a resource that people can come and share ideas about how to, uh, get wargaming for you know, for free or for a few pence anywhere in the world with bits of cardboard and junk and lots of stuff. And, um, that's, that's blossomed actually. That, that group is now, I think, uh, nine and a half thousand people. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's quite a big group now. And there's a lot of information on there about how to make, um, fleets of spaceships using clothes pegs, um, and how to make uh, armies from paper and beads and, um, clothes, um, uh, safety pins and yeah, all, all sorts of stuff. Amazing ingenuity. People making beautiful, large wargaming armies and tables for nothing. It's brilliant. Yeah, uh, that pleases me greatly. Because I think, and again, one of the, the experiences I have with, with teaching Warhammer at school is that you get kids who fall in love with the whole look of the idea of the thing and they want to play Warhammer, right? They want to go to the Warhammer shop. And then they come back the next week and they found out how much it all costs. <laughs> and I try and be ready for that. And I try and say, well, you know, here's some things you can do to mitigate the cost. If that's the game you want to play, there's ways of doing it more affordably. But then I will say, but there are other games you can play, you know, for a lot less money, even for free. You can play with bits of data. You absolutely can. You can have a really rewarding hobby and gaming experience spending almost nothing if you're resourceful. Well, I mean, you're the the king of elbow grease, right? Like, just spend a little time, make it work. Figure out, you know, find this crazy widget. <laughs> Absolutely. Bob's your uncle. Now you've got uh, a steam tank, right? Yep, uh, yep. You know, I mean, you just got to, you know, and I, I, I wonder, you know, what people are losing uh, when they're not investing in that way, that creative investment, right? I think for me, like, that, that's the that's the fun part when you're like, okay, I, yeah, I have these models, but what can I do differently to them hmm. to change them up or to just make them look different? None of your armies look like normal armies. Like there's always you can always tell that this is Joe's army because, like I said, you have a fleet or a air powered uh, skateboard uh, or a scratch built steam tank. Sure, yeah, you know I, that's got to. I mean, uh, that's got to be a part of the, the the draw to Kings of War is the fact that you know we talked about yeah the basing you can do the basing, but in your case your basing is pretty simple simple, but you put more of the investment into the models itself sure yeah but i, I think to be honest when i when i've been to the um uh, the tournaments and stuff and you see all the armies actually very few of them are really oh here's a normal army most people i find want to do something really really strange you know really um unique with it and make it their army very few people just sort of copy the base and paint job and get on the packaging i think uh i think this is uh it's Steve Evans who's in the K 
comes to charge he, he's a machine isn't he yeah steve evans he's a, every day there's a new army I know, yeah almost every day there's always something interesting i was admiring your salamanders as well they're fantastically bright oh, thank colorful, you beautiful stuff i played somebody called um matt hobday at the last um tournament as well and he had a halfing army and i think it was all 3d prints i think he'd, he'd done it all fairly quickly with 3d printing um but it was themed like early World War Two air airplanes field. and stuff. Yeah, you see yeah. the army. Yeah, mm-hmm. fantastic. You've got little little tiny jets and uh, well, mm-hmm. airplanes and um, a balloonist and stuff, and everything's got this khaki and yeah, it just really it, it always come back from uh, a tournament feeling really inspired to. To, to well, stop. you're lucky too because you got the likes of Chris Walsh at those tournaments, right? Yeah, and you go and see Chris Walsh's stuff, and it's like it's like the Dark Crystal, you know, yeah. just those weird Jim Henson puppets from <laughs> the '80s. You're just like, oh my god, what what did you do? So, you know, his newest army, the Salamanders, they started off as the regular Mantic models. You wouldn't know it when he's done because <laughs> he's chopped them up more than into more pieces than you could possibly consider. But yeah, amazing, amazing stuff. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, it, it, I think it's a good sign, though, that, you know, the Kings of War community is very creative. Right. I think it really uh, is. It, yeah. it's interesting, too, because back in 2015, 3D printing wasn't even a thing. Right. Nope, yeah. Companies not. had it, but it wasn't even really a thing. You know, have you dabbled into 3D printing at all? I, I haven't. I must admit, I think from. I think it's still at that stage, from what I can understand, I think it's still at that stage where it's a hobby in itself, right? It's, um, it's, you can do it affordably. Uh, and you know, if you know what you're doing and you're efficient about it, um, you can probably save money on buying whole armies, right? But I don't know anybody who's got a 3D printer who hasn't ended up spending more money than they would have done yeah. without it. <laughs> there are probably exceptions to that rule. And it also, I, I live in the UK where all our houses are tiny. There's not a room you can just set up to be my 3D printing room, <laughs> There's right? There's no well-ventilated counter space that I can set up um, a 3D printer and the curing box or whatever. It's, yeah, it's, so it's a non-starter for me. And um, it's, um, I'm, I'm, I, I don't particularly enjoy dealing with machinery and digital stuff. It just, um, it's a steep learning curve to me. It doesn't particularly impress me. So I like, I like using my hands and bits and stuff and, you know, different stuff together. Spoken like a pure illustrator. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm learning to use 3D printing to, to like maybe do basing and stuff, but I have no interest in actually buying a 3D printer. Because like you said, if I'm having to learn that, then I'm not painting models. I'm not, I'm not converting. Yeah. I'm not. You know, I'm not playing the game. I'm learning this thing. And, you know, who knows? Maybe five years from now, I'll be all about it. But, you know, I think the area that I'm most excited about 3D printing, though, is obviously basing is one. But, you know, conversion bits. Now, with Mantic making the move into STL files for Armada and and add-on bits. So, you know, things like uh, stalwarts for the, you know, where you can, you know, or shock troops. um, That's that's really interesting they're doing that. I, I don't know. I don't know how many other companies, certainly not other companies of Mantic size, who are taking that calculated risk to say, well, we're going to sell you these files and you can print them yourself. That's sort of interesting because I, I, I think they're, again, they, they are always willing to try, right? Mm. And if it doesn't work, well, it didn't work. They've hedged their bets because, you know, like when the case of like Armada, I'm sure when they get, when they roll these things out, these are the models, they'll start with the models that have been on the market for a while and maybe the market's a bit saturated. 
Sure. At that point, maybe nobody else is going to buy the bass land boats or, or the potential is reduced, you know? So, uh, you know, but add-on bits, I don't think they like making the things anyways no, because, you know, they sense. have to charge an arm and a leg to do it because the resin casting is is a real adventure for them. The Ogre Siege Breakers, I mean, when they were on their, their, the last uh, version of the, the Ogre, the, the, the resin bodies, most people were making their Siege Breakers with conversions anyway, right? There weren't yeah. many people who were buying actual Mantic Siege Breakers. So it makes perfect perfect sense for them to say, here are hard plastic Ogre Warriors, and then you can you can print your own uh, great big shields and arms. If you want to use yeah. the STLs and print the official Siege Breaker bits, great. Exactly. If yeah. you want to take... To, uh, you know, doors from from an R and D, you know, like a, like a big giant door mm-hmm. from any other game, and make a shield out of it. Great, whatever you want to. I mean, it's right up your alley. I mean, just taking whatever you can find in the bits box. That's right. Yeah. Do your children? Do your children still have any toys left, or have you <laughs> <laughs> ramsacked it enough that they, you know, all their toys have no heads? Well, that's it. There are still a few boxes of toys around the house, and if they listen to this podcast, they're gonna. They don't realize probably how much I do ransack their old toys. Because they, they would far more look at a screen, to be honest, and actually get some old plastic toys out of the drawer. That's the sad fact of it. So there's there's definitely some stuff that's collecting dust that they haven't noticed is gone. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. You did one tournament. You did mention that you are going to Clash of Kings UK this year. That's right. That's yeah. amazing. Are you, I mean, that's got to be pretty exciting stuff. It is. Well, I, I, I wasn't going to go, actually. Um, uh, and... I, I think I had a misapprehension about Clash Kings. I thought, oh, that, that's right, that's for the top of players. Right? This is the high-level stuff. I don't belong there. But, you know, there's, what, 150, 140 people. If I can go to tournaments, <laughs> you can go to tournaments, Joe. I mean, I just show up and I win some, I lose some. Exactly. You know, and I, I don't... Um, I, and I've been... Uh, I think that the, the first tournament I went to last summer, I was second from the bottom. And then the second yeah. tournament I went to, I climbed a little higher. And then the last one I went to, I won one of my games. So that's a, that's a you know, a step, that was a real uh, red letter day for me. So I can only ever, I'm only ever competing with myself and I will always have fun whether, whether I win or lose. So, uh, yeah, so I, I'm very happy to go to the class of things and, and, and the, there are going to be people there who have never played Kings of War before. So it, it really is for everybody. When there's 140 people playing, it's going to be a whole great big world. It's the largest event in the, in the world that's at this it, point. Yeah, yeah. I'm jealous of you because there's going to be so many armies there that have never been seen in the world before and they're going to be unveiled there and it's just you know you're going to get up close to personal some really, really cool stuff really good. yeah, yeah. So, so, so steve gave me a, a free ticket to classic things because i designed, designed the logo well it wasn't free though because it came with well. <laughs> it's compensation let's be honest so. yeah yeah you made up a really cool logo for for the event which that's a good transition into talking about i wonder with your background in illustration I mean, I guess by default, that means you're a pretty artistic person. And I guess, how does that translate into your passion for Kings of War? I, I, I suppose so. I think I always feel, to be honest, I always feel when I when I sort of put my work to, side, to the side uh, for the day and pick up a paintbrush, I always feel like I'm using a totally different part of the brain. It doesn't feel like a continuation of the same, the same thing. And it is creative, but it seems creative in a very different way to my normal working day. Um, but obviously there is, uh, I think perhaps, you know, doing the banners is where my professional sort of uh, life overlaps with my, my hobby the most. But uh, most of the time, I, I just feel like it's, it's its own thing. It doesn't particularly feel like I'm 
drawing too much on professional experience too much. Uh, going from two dimensional to three dimensional feels like a very different, as I say, part of the brain way of working. But um, perhaps there's more to it than I, I realize. Looking at your website, obviously, we'll put a link in the website, but you got Joe McLaren illustration. Your artwork is very specific, has a very specific style. Mm. We need an army like that <laughs> in that very evocative look. Um, yeah, I, don't I, I, don't, I don't even know how to describe it. I mean, how would you describe it? Yeah, I mostly do uh, book covers, and I mostly use uh, a material called scraper board, which was designed about 120 years ago to look like woodcut illustration. It's intentional because that's what that's what I felt was that's like. It. Oh, yeah. looking at a wood, yeah, exactly. It's quite sort of uh, rustic, and um, it looks quite. It can look quite primitive. It can look quite uh, rural, I suppose. I do. I get asked to do a lot of trees and a lot of cloudy skies and a lot of sea, you know, uh, seas and boats and. Uh, and a lot of nature uh, tends to be where I've, I've, I've um, ended up in sort of, not exactly typecast, right? But it is that sort of, I, I tend to get asked to do a certain sort of, um, of, of book cover. Yeah, a lot of landscapes, which is fine. But I, yeah, I, I can't imagine how I'd, I'd go about translating it into a case of war army. That's a, that's a challenge I'd have to give some serious thought to. What you just said made me think. I don't know if you've listened, but we have an episode with Skull and Crown miniatures. Oh yeah, Skull and Crown. I know. Yeah, they have an undead army out of metal that is taken from the woodcut artwork from medieval times. That's it. And yeah, I'm just thinking in my head, like illuminations. Yeah. I've so they got like giant. Uh, they got halberdier skeletons and stuff, but they have that very woodcut look I, I don't know how to explain but it's in 3d it's the real models is it then who's that did they do the like the rabbit jousting on on snails as well yes same the same <laughs> the same faction oh, and wow. uh yeah. yeah yeah beautiful really it's sort of like your artwork on the table <laughs> i imagine that could be an army for you I, yeah i think they are they are absolutely fantastic though. they're really lovely yeah i'll have to take a close look at them. Well, there's something nostalgic about metal models even yeah. i look i love my plastic i love my resin but every once in a while it's fun to to just pull out those old big chunky metal models and, and work with them that's it yeah yeah and players of a certain age because uh, back in the early 90s the plastic figures were far more primitive and if you had a, a unit of plastic figures they often looked totally identical all of them and and so you you a lot of us are still walking around with this association of quality that goes with the weight of metal models, which is completely logical now. It's, it's the thing of the past, but we still retain that, you know, the, there's something about the heft of metal models that uh, feels like it has more more value and quality to it. And it, it doesn't really make any sense. But yeah, there's something... Well, the price of metal, it, it, well, as yeah, the price right. of metal keeps going up, <laughs> some of those models are valuable from a... From a scrap metal point <laughs> Scrap metal yeah. cost, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the recycling content and some of that stuff is probably, yeah. But with the with the trend of going away from traditional sculpting mm. to the 3D sculpting, which is fine. It makes perfect sense that that would be the way we go. There's something that we are losing. I'm happy with the 3D sculpting stuff that's coming out now. It's fantastic. Yeah. But, you know, the, the big hands... You know, the, maybe things aren't quite proportioned right because they made them because they're going to make a metal model out of them. There's something characterful about it's nostalgia, right, for me. I, I think digitally sculpted models now are far better than they were you know, 10 years ago. There was a real, and if you remember, I think, if you remember the, the first um, Basilean Men at Arms plastics that Fantic made, which weren't particularly well received. 
I have a feeling they were were they um, digitally designed. I think they were because I think we had the if I remember correctly, Mantic Radio. We had the guy that the sculptor yeah. on that did it. Yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure they were. But they, they a much better job than I could have ever done. But they they perhaps did sort of have some of the um, qualities that I associate with. Uh, the early days of digital sculpting, but everyone looks a little bit stilted, a little bit like, you know, like like Sims, right? <laughs> they sort of mm-hmm. um, very identical and um, perhaps sort of bits of stiff, not not very naturalistic in their pose, uh, which must be an incredibly hard thing to get right. And to be fair, you look at plastic sculpting, um, so digital sculpting now, and it's it's moved on leaps and bounds. It's much better in that regard. But there is something. Um, about actual sort of handmade, um, you know, physically sculpted models that I still find really charming. And it, I, it's not something I could particularly defend intellectually. It, it's an emotional thing. It's a nostalgic thing. And um, I'm always very aware of how much like a, an old, an old phobia I sound defending sort of you know, metal models from the distant past. And it's, um, you know, that's, that's, that's something you can be, you can get quite self-indulgent when you're talking about nostalgia like that. But there is something really charming about uh, you know, physically sculpted models. Yeah. I'm very happy with the, the more modern stuff, and, yeah. and, I, and I love it, especially stuff coming out of Mantic. But every once in a while, mm. you know, I, I look longingly at those old armies that I did back in the 90s or early 2000s, you know, for other games. And uh, there's just something about them. They're just, I don't know. There, it, it was a different era, yeah. right? And I yeah. think, uh, you know, hey, it's the era of Goblin Green bases, which, <laughs> right, yeah. you know, <laughs> poor, you must have like a dragon's horde of Goblin Green somewhere. Well, like you have like a... I don't use Goblin Green. It's it's uh, it's Citadel Warboss Green. Um, okay. Yeah, and dry brushed with uh, Avalon Sunset. Yeah. That's, that's, that's awesome. The, of, of the sort of small community of people who still use Goblin Green basing, that's that's usually the favorite is Warboss Green, just because it's easy to get hold of and it covers yeah. very well. And, yeah. Uh, so, are you a GW paint? Use the GW paint line for I, the most I part, use, or probably, probably I mostly use Army Painter now. Um, okay. But you know, GW paints are easy to easy to replace when you need to. Um, and my one of my local shops, I think they stopped doing Army Paint, which is annoying. So, you know, I can always get hold of Citadel paints. I can't always get hold of it, Army Painter. It's just the way it is. But um, Army painter paint I really like, and I like the drop bottles, and I prefer the price, obviously. <laughs> so that's something. But um, I, I use all sorts of different paints. I, I'm not particularly uh, wedded to a particular brand, and they they all do different things. Uh, well, I always think the army painter metallics are still my favourite. I think they're really good, and they're, they're very good. Yeah, they cover very well. They really do. Yeah, and they're not. Yeah, they're not too thick. So what else has changed in the last eight years? I mean, you know, you've obviously moved from the the southern side of, I guess, the southeastern side of uh, the country. That's it, yeah. Now you're up in up in the Birmingham area. So mm. how, how is the community different from down there to up there? I mean, obviously, you got you mentioned Steve Hildrew, but... Yeah. Well, the main thing is I, I used to be a five-minute walk from the shop where we, maybe 10 of us would play fairly regularly. And now I'm a maybe a 30-minute drive, you know, which is... I know a 30 minute drive to, uh, <clears throat> to an American sounds like nothing at all, right? No, I, <laughs> hey, the older I get, the less I want to drive. So yeah. when it takes me 15, 20 minutes to get to the shop, I'm like, ah, I wish it was closer. But I always, always right? talk uh, about, you know, Americans and Australians as well. They talk about driving 11 hours to a, a tournament. Mm-hmm. I, think, oh, I think probably an hour and a half is my, 
<laughs> yeah, we'll drive two and a half hours for a one day. That's it. You yeah, know? yeah. And, that's then, and it's, that's two and a half hours each way. So it's yeah, five hours yeah. in the car. But, you know, that's just the, it's just the, I mean, the difference though is that uh, we're, our roads are less congested, right? So, that I mean, it's not yeah. as bad. Yeah. Like when you're, like if, if you're driving for two and a half hours and you're driving several hundred miles, not so bad. But when you're driving for two and a half hours and you're only going, you know, I'm just going to make this up a hundred, a hundred miles it's like ah it's yeah. you know yeah it's a, di- a different animal for you guys are you going to build a display board for this beautiful dwarf army that's it i think whatever i do to end up taking to clash of things i will i will definitely do a display board for and um i can imagine yeah i think i would I'd, i have had ideas about what sort of display board i do for the, the dwarves and i think it would be in that sort of quite traditional vein it's got to be um sort of a dwarf fortress sort of built into the side of a mountain Fairly, fairly sort of standard, uh, standard, standard stuff, really. Yeah. Well, I could see you at a charity shop finding some kind of <laughs> castle toy and repurposing it. An old, <laughs> old castle gravestone or something. <laughs> exactly, and you're cutting it up and putting it together and repainting it. And what's the name of your army? Uh, do you know, I haven't yet. I will do though. Before <gasps> I've been looking over the uh, the map of the, the dwarf lands and trying to decide which. Uh, because I, I, I imagine them being quite loyal to Dollop. Um, I don't know if they, the the number plate on my uh, my Steam. You did, says, yeah. I, I did notice yeah. that. And <laughs> let's talk about that steel behemoth for a minute because yeah, sure. it's amazing. So what what did it start life as? The the main body of it is from the Forge Fathers half track. I think it's the Holter half track. And so it, okay, it, it, this is the body. It, the it's got um three-wheeled track things that go on the other side of it and there's some extra wheel bit so i've really just used the main hull and then i've added some bits onto it uh, obviously i've got um a dwarf war engine crewman as the as the driver it's great i've got a yeah. bit of a and your smoke engine. your smoke coming out of the the stack there is amazing oh, how did you yeah. how did you model that so it's um the the it's, it's a piece of bent brass wire and then glued onto that are just clumps of, uh, you know, the model railway clump foliage. Mm-hmm. Just stuck onto there and really saturated with uh, diluted PVA glue. And then once it's totally dry, you can you can paint it and varnish it and um, highlight it. And it works pretty well. It's pretty, pretty solid. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. If you haven't seen it, check the show notes for the show. Check the Facebook page. We've got a lot. Joe has posted lots of pictures. So have you thought about, so this is at 1995. You need to add another 305 points That's to it, make yeah. it legal for Clash of Kings. So what are you going to add? Yeah, I, I think I think I mentioned the uh, Brock Riders earlier. I think that'll go be most of the way there, having a, a, a regiment of Brock Riders and uh, maybe just an extra can or something like that, I think would pretty much do it, actually. Um, yeah. I'll have to give it some thought. Yeah. I tend to, <laughs> what I really ought to be doing, Rob, is, is taking apart my army and giving my case. Tactically, I need to meet all comers, and think, but um, my my first thought is always aesthetic. Thinking, what do I what would I like to see? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, you, you, Joe, if you're worried about how it's going to work on the table, you're ruined already. <laughs> <That's> true, <isn't laughs> you it? just yeah. gotta you just gotta put the the coolest looking army forward, and don't really worry about it. you know you'll figure it out. You'll improvise. You'll figure out how to make the army work on the table. Exactly. But yeah. you know it's got to look good while it's on the table. That's the main thing for me, for sure. Yeah. Anything we didn't cover? No, sure. I mean, I've, there's obviously there's the uh, slow grow, which I'm I'm looking forward to. I'm, I'm building undead for that, but it's going to be fairly fairly straightforward army. That actually, I'm 
just uh, looking forward to getting some skeletons done. And, uh, Other than dwarves, it's the only thing I've ever seen you paint. Right. So well, I, I did. I did you, paint an ogre army actually last year. When I got back into it, I thought I'll just quickly um, bash an ogre okay. together. You know, just so I got something to play with. Uh, which I think a lot of a lot of ogre players are people who thought, oh, that's the easiest one to do. <laughs> it's the lowest model. It's, right? Yeah, I, I just took the two-player starter set from Sands of the Moon, and I took the ogres in there, and I was able to make thir- 750 points out of, like, 13 ogres. Yeah, <laughs> like, really anybody cool. can paint 13 ogres. It's sure. not that much, right? And yeah. you're, you're a third of the way there to a real army. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it, it's the the value now is so great. Those plastics are reasonably priced and and they look fantastic. They're easy to build. Yeah, you know, I, I'm, I mean, I'm super excited about it. So so, are you using for the for the mantic? I mean, you got the 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 traditional undead. So we're talking skeletons, ghouls, zombies, that kind of thing. Yeah, all that. Yeah, I, 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 all I've done for it so far because I I spent most of March finishing off the, the dwarves for the um, mm-hmm. the tournament, so I didn't have much of March left to get in under the wire and and uh, make a quick post for the slow grow. But I just so I just did the Lycanus, right, the the, the main uh, werewolf guy. Um, but yeah, the, the next uh, this month's work will be at least one regiment of skeletons and then probably um, a regiment or two um, two fleets of um, Revenant cavalry, right? So, so just fa- fairly straightforward. I think uh, I just I love those models so much. I don't think they, they, don't, they don't feel like they need any uh, conversion. I'm just going to let the models speak for themselves. And um, yeah, and, I've, and my my brother-in-law as well. He really likes uh, undead stuff. So occasionally he'll come and visit. Now, if I if I've got an undead army ready for him to to pitch against my dwarves, that'll be that'll be ideal. Yeah. I'm just waiting for you to do another EM4 army. I think you have an EM4 orc army in your feature at some point. You know, I have got um, a couple of hundred EM4 orcs. So I, I, I have thought about it. And, but um, I'm, I'm really enjoying, I think as well, I, I think we owe it to Mantic as well to sort of support them as much as we can. I really I appreciate the idea of the slow growth of being uh, to champion Mantic's army. So that I... I do occasionally think, oh, yeah, I could, I could do a quick orc army, but I've actually fairly recently bought um, an orc. I think it must have been someone's abandoned project on eBay, but it was it was an orc mega army, and then it was three boxes of uh, gore riders, and it was three giants and a wing and a crudger and a winged uh, um, you know, wing guy, and it was all for a very reasonable price on eBay. I just sort of scooped that up and. So that's on the back burner as well at some point. <laughs> you could still be poor hammer. You know, if you're able to pick up someone's has me downs and you take it and you, you strip it and you, you re you turn this army that was stopped, you know, this project that somebody didn't make any progress on and you convert it into this masterpiece. You're right though. I think one of the things that we owe it to Mantic is just show, show armies that can, what you can do with their models 15 years ago, whatever, eight years ago, you know, Oh, the models aren't great. Well, okay to each their own, but I, I, I think it'd be hard for me to say with a straight face, there's no models that they make that I don't like. I mean, come on, there's yeah. the range has grown large enough range. I think everybody can find something in there that they can identify with this. Oh, that's cool. Whether it's the Ratkin or the Abyssal Dwarves or EOD. I've been putting the EOD and the Ogres together from the new two plus star stuff. Those are awesome models. They go yeah. together like buttery smooth and they go, they paint, you know, I'm speed painting them. So they go quick. And yeah. so it's, you know, I, I don't know. There's something to be said with sometimes there, you know, there is a 
quality to taking something and being cheap about it and 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 getting something getting the most out of nothing but the flip side is sometimes there's also something very satisfying from starting with something that's a little bit easier to work with and putting that extra energy into just making it look that much better like the emt m4 stuff they're, they're serviceable models but it's a lot of work yeah yeah, you got to do some work. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Well, awesome, Joe. I appreciate the time. It's been it's been fun uh, rehashing and, and chatting. I mean, like I said, it's been been a very long time. Hopefully, you don't fall off the planet again uh, and move to Wales. Yeah, I'll come. I'll come and talk to you halfway through fifth edition or something. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And obviously, I can't wait to hear your experience at Clash of Kings. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it this year i think you guys are gonna have a great time it's gonna be sounds like i'm just um, amazed it's it's a you know they've they've struck something they've they've struck gold and they found a way to get really pull all the players out of the woodwork which is fantastic it's well, something I, think, I would love for the americans to do I've we been haven't been able to do your, it yet. um content the last week and a half of uh, adepticon as well they, they... man if we could have 150 players at adepticon i mean those are GW numbers at yeah. Adepticon, right? Like that's great. Well, they'll get there. They'll get there for sure. Hopefully, yeah. I, you know, I think too. There's something when you go to those big giant events. There's a pageantry that you might not get, and nothing wrong with the smaller events. I love the small events, but when you have 150 players, there's a lot of diamonds that are going to be showing up. Like some really. When you're playing 20 players, yeah, maybe there's a couple diamonds, but at 150, there's going to be so many armies that, that you didn't even know were coming and you're just going to be like oh my gosh this is amazing yeah it's it's great i'm i'm so i'm so chuffed for them well awesome joe i appreciate the time it's been a real pleasure thank you rob well that's going to do us tonight and until next time keep countercharging. thanks for listening and we'll see you next time on countercharge please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com on twitter at countercharge15 or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.